Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Kings and Queens March. Anyone feel like marching? Three people do. Do you feel like you've been marching over the last three months? No, we've kind of been sitting, haven't we? It's been really cool. Everyone I've been catching up with, I had a lot of catch-ups this week. Everyone I've been catching up with, it seems over the last three months, God's been doing some serious dealings with our heart. Um, so that's good. It makes me happy. It means that I'm not the only one. If God's messing with me, He can mess with you as well. So when kings and queens march, now I'm going to use this um, scripture from 2 Samuel. There won't be scriptures on the screen, by the way. I'm kind of expecting people to bring their own Bible or use their phone on their Bible. Um, this scripture is kind of a backdrop to what I actually want to talk about and what I want to land on later on. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says this, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem, and we all know what happened when David stayed home, don't we? Something happens when kings are supposed to go out to war, but then they, for some reason, when they stay home, bad things tend to happen. Silly things tend to happen. There seems to be something about being a king, about being a queen, that we're supposed to go out. And any time that we actually stay home, we are very, very vulnerable. And that's exactly precisely what we actually see in the life of David. 2020, a year of absolute confusion for um, a lot of people. And there are moments where I've been absolutely confused myself. Anyone else been a bit confused this year? Yeah, a little bit confusing. Over my um, mere 40 years... um, what was that? (laughs) I had coffee with Phil this morning. He's back in the building. Anyway, in my my few 40 years, Phil still calls me a young man, um, I've actually discovered about myself there's actually two main reasons why I tend to get confused in this world um, and in my life. Um, The first one is I try to, when I'm trying to interpret what's happening in the world, And um, part of my role is not just to open up my Bible on a Sunday and just like open my mouth and and preach. Part of my role and my responsibility is to try to interpret what's happening in the world so that we can actually respond to that in a godly biblical gospel way. And um, I find for myself, I'm not as sharp, I'm not as, as fast as a lot of people. It generally takes me a lot of time to figure out what is happening in the world, why are people behaving the way they're behaving. Um, and that for me, there are moments where that can be quite confusing because it is a grapple I'm trying to interpret. What in the world in 2020, what in the world is is happening right now. And one thing I know about myself is that it takes some time for me to get it, but once I get it, everyone gets it. That's just something that God's put on my heart. If I get it, and if I can communicate it, then everyone gets it. Um, But it takes me a long time. And in that moment, uh, in that space of actually trying to understand what is going on, it can be very, very, very confusing. And I think it's very confusing for a lot of people, even now, especially our younger generation. Uh, I think particularly of our young adults, because right now there are all sorts of emotions and feelings and and anger and and things that are happening in, in hearts and in minds. And you don't necessarily know what you're feeling. You just know you're feeling something. 
And we can go through those moments where we don't know what we're feeling, but we're feeling something. But it actually takes leadership and it takes the majority of the spiritual fathers and the spiritual mothers in the house to actually sit with that and say, what exactly is going on? How can I articulate? I need to interpret what this world is feeling right now so that we can respond and we can lead in it. But I find that generally um, one thing that actually does get me a little bit confused. Um, And I was going to say from time to time, but in this last year, it's quite often really. Um, the second thing is when I forget the main thing. Does anyone ever forget the main thing? I grew up, Phil would say almost every single week, you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. So that's, that, that preaches well, you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. But what happens when you lose the main thing? Well, for me, when I lose the main thing, I generally get lost and I get very confused. Tom Wright says this, The authority of Scripture is most truly put into operation as the church goes to work in the world and behalf of the gospel. The good news that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has come and the living God has defeated the powers of evil and begun the work of new creation in this world. You see, that's the main thing. And if I miss the main thing, I get lost. And sometimes we as believers of Jesus Christ, we can miss the main thing. Because if we fail to forget, if we actually sort of remove from us, wait a minute, the, the, the authority of Scripture, we read the Bible and like people go through the Bible in a year and all this. But if this word is not being put to work in the world, you've missed the main thing. And if we do not understand and recognize that Jesus actually defeated the powers of darkness and has defeated evil, and he is right now bringing about new creation, we just sit here passively and guess what? You've just missed the main thing. And so often we can miss the main thing, even as followers of Jesus Christ. And in moments like this, in moments of great opportunity, it is so important for us as followers of Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, as the only authoritative um, administrators of God's kingdom here on earth to actually know, absolutely, this is what the main thing is. And there are going to be a whole lot of distractions, but if I can keep the main thing the main thing, I'm going to make sure that I'm not so confused and not so lost. 2020 is proving to be quite a grapple. I'm finding that in my own life. I think it's a very noble grapple. I think it's a very worthwhile grapple, no doubt. And I think that quite possibly it's going to be a very definitive grapple for us living here, not just for the church. I think it's a grapple that the whole world has. And we will look back on this year and say that was a really significant, pivotal year, and it's worth the grapple. It's worth the grapple. We're trying to navigate through a world where the stitches seem to be falling apart. You know, it's one thing to be navigating when everything is all together, but but when everything seems to be falling apart, now that's a little bit more tricky, isn't it? Two weeks ago, I brought a message which was called Brand New Openings. Anyone remember that? Spoke that at both services. And what I was trying to articulate, what I was trying to actually bring to us as a church is to be able to take a step back and look at what's happening in this world, look at the hearts that are currently on display. And instead of trying to be like a, this angry activist or trying to be indifferent or something like that, to actually step back and actually look at what's happening in the world right now and to recognize that right now in this moment, the human heart is being laid bare in all of its vulnerability and it is asking a key significant question that is pertinent to you and is pertinent to me and if we have the wisdom to identify what that question is well then possibly maybe we can actually walk this gospel out and actually see it transform lives and the question is simply this what does it mean to be human isn't that what the rage is about isn't that what the anger is about isn't that the question of injustice what does it mean to be human two weeks ago we talked about that and we uh, actually brought an angle to it 
I'm going to actually add uh, some bit to, to what we started talking about. A couple of years ago, I um, remember listening to one of the um, most significant voices in my life over the last 20 years. I never met him. I saw him preach twice. And um, I was very saddened to see this year he passed away. His name is Ravi Zacharias. And um, 20 years ago, I started listening to Ravi Zacharias, and he put in my heart that I just don't want to be a, a, a teacher. I want to be a thinking teacher. I, I don't want to be afraid with the issues that are presented in the world. I want to be able to, if the gospel is the answer, then I want to see how the gospel addresses all of these issues. And I remember one uh, message I was listening to him, and he actually said this. He said this. He said, the single greatest pursuit of every young person today is the pursuit of meaning. And when I heard that, my immediate response was, yeah, that's not the pursuit exclusively to young people. That is a pursuit for every single person, young and old. And there have been countless libraries of books offering different philosophies, trying to bring language and clarity on this topic of purpose and this topic of meaning. But the problem is when you're actually trying to tackle something like that, you need to actually understand and recognize that there is actually a question which lies underneath that question from which this question of meaning and purpose actually come from. And that is the question of what does it mean to be human? Because if you cannot understand what it means to be human, then you can't possibly understand what it means to actually have meaning and purpose in your life if you don't do that. I was listening to a random podcast, um, Theology and the Raw. Um, Preston Sprinkle, he's a great thinker, um, especially in the way he engages with uh, um, all, sorts of, all sorts of things. Um, but he, he had um, this, uh, this professor who's actually done a study in anthropology, and he's talking about just the different ways that we actually see humanity, from, from the physicalists all the way to like dualists and all that. And, and, and you know what? If we, if we generally come to the answer and we think that humanity is just a bunch of chemicals... We're going to have a very different response of asking and answering that question of meaning and purpose as depending on like someone else like us who say, you know what, we're actually made in the image of God. Depending on what we fundamentally say about what is a human, who is human, what does it mean to be human, that is going to determine everything else. So we need to understand that. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human for us as followers of Jesus Christ? What is our understanding of what it means to be human? St. Irenaeus said this, the glory of God is a human fully alive. Isn't that a great picture? A human fully alive. Who'd love to be fully alive? Who's ever felt numb? Yeah? Well, if you're human, you felt numb. Who's ever done like stupid things or tried a myriad of different things to try and like get, get a hide, get a kick, get some adrenaline going? Anyone ever done that? Because there's something inside of us, we understand, we recognize that there is a numbness that is like counterintuitive. Like This is not what it means to be human. So we try so many different things to try and feel more alive. And guess what? Our lament is these things last for a mere moment. They don't last for a lifetime. Yet our great God says that, 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 that there is a possibility and that there is this delight that St. Irenaeus says the glory of God is to be fully alive. What people don't understand or most people don't recognize that it is God's full pleasure. It is delight, His delight that you and I live this life fully alive, not just for a moment, for our entire lifetime. That is His pleasure. That is His delight. And we don't even know that half the time, do we? We don't even know that. That's what he wants to do. The image is like Moses goes out and out of the corner of his eye, he sees this burning bush. 
And he's intrigued because it is set on fire but is not being consumed. That is the picture of a follower of Jesus Christ, that we are to be fully alive with the fire of God, yet not consumed. Because if we were consumed, we'd like disappear. We're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be fully alive. This, what does it mean to be human? Our Christian faith is one that has the highest elevation of humanity out of every religion and every single worldview that you will ever look at, that you'll ever study, that you'll ever read about. Christianity puts humanity higher than anything else. Because Christianity says that we are made in the image of God. Imago Dei. Imago Dei. Made in the image of God. And you know, well, we hear that a lot as followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, we've been talking about that for years here. And sometimes we can think, you know what, I made an image of God. That's wonderful. That's amazing. How special am I? And we don't recognize that there's actually a responsibility that comes with being made in the image of God. This isn't just a, 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 a great privilege to actually be made in the image of God, but there's actually a missional aspect to being made in the image of God, that we are supposed to live in this world as reflectors of God's glory so that our regions and our communities that surround us, indeed the nations, would be blessed through us. There's a missional aspect. When kings don't go out to war, you know, crazy stuff happens. Crazy stuff happens. There are three biblical words which I want to use, and they're, they're biblical. So I want to actually try and, and just bring some meaning around them. Three biblical words that the scripture, our scriptures use, they find their origin in the book of Genesis and in the creation account in Genesis. The three words are this, priest, prophet, and king. These three words provide a somewhat of a tapestry of what it means to be made in the image of God. The glory of God is a human being fully alive, prophet, priest, and king. And this is what we find in Adam and Eve in the creation account. So I want to go through that so we can add some tapestry and some layers. Because it's one thing for me to put the question out and say, you know what, the world's asking a great question, you know. What does it mean to be human? Fantastic. And we know the answer, that's fantastic. We can demonstrate the answer. But like for all, all of us, I'm kind of making a big assumption that we actually, as followers of Jesus Christ, know what it means to actually be fully alive. So we're going to actually add a little bit of meaning and texture and tapestry to that this morning. First thing, to be fully alive means to be priestly. Does anyone feel priestly here? No? I might look at Dave and say, Dave, you may have like jeans and like some funny shirt, but you're, you're the priest here. Do you know our, our Reformation is actually one of the foundations is the priesthood of all believers? Do you know Scripture says that you are a royal priesthood? You know, that like priesthood and, and being priestly is fundamental to who you are. Um, so kind of important to know what that means. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And um, what's really interesting in the creation narrative, um, something which I, I didn't necessarily read straight away, I, I just need to um, read up on people much more intelligent than me, um, theologians. But just, just in my reading and, and studying all that, I didn't realise that how beautiful um, this procession, this, this progression of creation is. It's kind of this liturgical procession of creation. It kind of flows one after the other, after the other, after the other. I mean, if God could create everything, couldn't he like just go, voila, and bang, everything's there right at the beginning. But no, God actually does it 
one after the other after the it's like this procession that is coming forth out of God. You know, it's coming forth. And you've got the sun, you've got the moon, you've got the planets, you've got the stars, you've got the earth, the animals, the insects, and, and all this stuff is coming out from God. And what's really important for us to understand straight off the bat is that in other worldviews and other eras, all of these created things were at some point in one time worshipped as a God. But Genesis does not say that at all. Does not say that at all. The book of Genesis is actually saying this, that these things that are created, they are not to be worshipped. Rather, these created things are all in a beautiful liturgical procession because they are meant to give praise to God. Straight off the bat, we find that about our God. He is the creator. He is God. And He is creating things in such an order, in such a way, as if it is a liturgical procession. And if we were this high order church, we would start the service with a procession of people coming in. We might start off with the little kids and the musicians and all walking in. At the very end, you'd have the guy who's going to be opening up the Word of God, the Scripture at the very end. And it's kind of like this liturgical idea, this procession that is happening in creation that God is making this, and He's making this, and He's making this, and He's making this. And the purpose and the point is that all the creation will give praise to God. And you have to ask the question, well, how in the world does all the creation give praise to God? We have to look at the last person who's created in order to understand how all of creation gives praise to God. Genesis 1 verse 26 says this, then God said, let us make human beings. Anyone a human being? Come on, we can be alive in church. Let us make human beings in our image. To be like ourselves, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. Humanity comes at the end of this great liturgical procession, at the very, very end. Why? 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 Because it is our deepest task to lead all of creation in a deep chorus of praise. That is our fundamental task and our responsibility. The priestly role of humanity is to give right praise, to give correct praise to God. That's why He creates us at the end. It's almost as if when we actually give our voice to God, all the creation finds their voice in praising God. That's how this is written for us to see that. The church fathers, they saw David before the fall, not David, (laughs) Adam. (laughs) They saw Adam before the fall as the very first priest whose job was to give praise. You know what? We should probably get the worship team up now. We don't understand and recognize how important it is for us to sing and give praise. We think that this just affects us. Evidently, it affects all of creation. Isn't that insane? Humanity, the crown of creation. Our voice enables creation to find their voice in giving praise, correct praise to God. Have you ever noticed how atmospheres change, how things shift when praise is given to God? Have you noticed even when we open up Scripture and I come up here, there's a different atmosphere? Well, that is a directional thing where correct attention has been given to God. And atmospheres change. Things change when that happens. The essence of the priesthood is usually summarized in in this kind of aspect, two ways. The priest represents the people or all of creation before God. And the priest also represents God to the people, all of creation. N.T. Wright, um, if you're not familiar with N.T. Wright or Tom Wright, just do it. He uses this image of an angled mirror when he talks about 
our priestly role or the royal priesthood. I used to have a great mirror and I think I threw it out. But I've used this illustration um, before. But imagine my phone's a mirror. Generally speaking, when I wake up in the morning, I go and like have a look at myself in the mirror and, I'll, and what I see is like just myself. Because generally speaking, a mirror is just straight, isn't it? Straight on, right? And when I look at a mirror which is straight on, all I can see is myself. That's all I can see. That's all I can see, right? Now, when it comes to humanity, if we have a whole bunch of straight mirrors, imagine people are mirrors, a straight mirror just reflects creation to creation. That's all it does. So if there's something nasty inside of you and you're just reflecting that to creation, guess what? You just create, you're just reflecting nasty. That's what it is. But Tom actually uses this example and illustration about who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. That we are not straight mirrors in this world. What we actually are is angled mirrors. That's actually who we are. That is an incredible illustration for us to understand. And as we live in this world, as we walk in this world, as we function in this world, not like this, but like this, guess what? We are reflecting God's glory and His stewardship and His love into this world. And we are those with the responsibility of actually reflecting correct praise, rightful praise to God. There is a responsibility. What about all these Old Testament scriptures? The whole world will be full of His glory. Well, how did you think that was going to happen? Did you honestly think it would be another um, uh, Temple of Solomon kind of scenario where the Shekinah falls? No! This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. You're literally going to see millions and billions of mirrors like this, and they are going to encounter Jesus Christ. And guess what? When they encounter Jesus Christ, bam, they become a reflected mirror. This is what it means to actually be a royal priesthood. This is the priestly role. And Adam was placed in the garden to be an angled mirror in God's world so that God could reflect his love, his care, his stewardship of the world through Adam and so that the rest of the world could praise the created God through Adam. So for us, standing here right now, there's something that's supposed to happen through me. There's something that's supposed to happen through you. That God's love and His stewardship and His care for this world is supposed to be reflected through you, through me, and that creation actually gives praise to God, worship to God through us as well. There is a responsibility that happens by being a priesthood. That's a cool illustration, isn't it? Some of you have got some people in your family and they're like that right now. But this is a season of brand new open. You guys need to realize that when I come and bring a word, I'm just like, I'm, I'm seeking God. I'm listening to God. And he is actually saying, this is what I want you to speak. This is a seasonal word. And when he says brand new openings, you need to expect and understand that there are going to be some people in your areas, in your lives, in your families. And you are going to see in this season, they may be a straight mirror right now, but the breath of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And they're going to become angled. We're not mucking around. You know, like I haven't had three months off like some people. <laughs> I've just been like, bang, let's go home. But that's what it is, isn't it? Adam's voice allowed all of the cosmos to find its voice in praising God. What does it mean to be human, to be a priest? To understand that we give correct, rightful praise to the Creator and not to created things. In fact, our role, get this, our role is to teach creation how to give rightful praise to God. To teach creation. To teach people. To teach people. 
When we praise God, we are doing so as representatives of the whole world, reflecting the rest of the world to God. And when we are looking after creation, we are reflecting God's healing, restorative justice to creation. You get some, like, especially some young guys jumping up and down about injustice, about all sorts of stuff. And you know what? If we live like this, we will actually serve the world with the power of God, the love of God, the stewardship and the care of God. The problem is we try to do it like this. And every time we try to do it like this, we're just reflecting ourselves onto the world. And the world just doesn't need that. The world needs God reflected into the world. The problem happens in Holy Scripture when it comes to Israel time and time and time again that Israel forget or they neglect or they blatantly disobey and they do not give God his rightful, correct praise. That is the story of Israel. Guess what? We are the new Israel. And the story continues. (laughs) Doesn't it? The story continues. We are the new Israel. Luke 2 verse 14, listen to this. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom he is well pleased. We normally read this. In fact, last Christmas I remember preaching from this and talking about peace, about how peace is. And actually what peace is, because we think peace is a, uh, this emotion and, and, and you can certainly feel some things, but that word shalom, that word peace, is, is as if like this entire stage which is made of wood, that it was absolutely disintegrated into single splinters. And peace is actually, shalom is actually bringing everything back to the whole. So if you picture it, if this whole stage was actually individual wooden splinters, peace would actually bring the bringing together of every single splinter so it makes the whole again. That's what peace is. And what this is actually saying this, glory to God, glory to God, correct and rightful praise to God has a result. You give correct and rightful praise to God and guess what? Peace starts to break out in your world. Peace does. And it'll happen anywhere. You could have like be like, like in your workplace or in your family or in your school, in your community, any place where there is chaos, there is discord. If we, as, as those who are made in the image of God, if we can give correct and rightful praise to God, guess what? Peace starts to break out. But the, the, the alternative is true as well. If we do not give rightful praise to God, war tends to break out. Hostility tends to break out. You know what I'm saying? Just look out into the world. All this stuff, division tends to break out. The isms tend to break out. <laughs> we've got a lot of isms, you know, we've got racism, we've got sexism, we've got ageism. Fundamentally, it's all a spirit of division. But if we give rightful praise to God, peace, bringing everything together, tends to break out. I mean, you've got something in your life where there's no peace. And I'm not talking about a nice, nice little feeling. I'm talking about if there is something in your area of your life and it's like, this is not whole right now, give him praise. Correct praise. Correct praise. Rightful praise. And just watch and see peace break out in your world. Second thing with prophets. Okay. First one sounded good. Second one we go, uh-oh. This one can be pretty offensive. Speak the truth in love. All right. Genesis 2, verse 18 to 20. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who was just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. 
and a man chose a name for each one. He gave names to the livestock, to the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. Interesting in the creation account that everything is good except for one thing. There's actually one thing and God says, that's good, that's good, that's good, not that's good. Man, I did well. That is really good. Looks at something else and says, that's not good. When he looked at Adam, he said, it's not good that Adam's by himself. It's not good. I think it's interesting even reading through this. It's like, like God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And you would have thought, well, if it's not good for man to be alone, why don't you do something straight away? No, God actually says, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he actually causes all of creation, all the animals to come and parade in front of Adam to see what he would call them. Scripture's already told us what God thought. The question that comes out of that procession in front of Adam is, Adam, what do you say? We've already heard what God said. Now, Adam, what do you say? This is the prophetic role that we're actually going to see. So God brings the animals that he created to man. And, and, and notice that as Adam is naming them, God is actually right there. This is done in the presence of the Lord. God is right there. God brought the animals, and it's God who brought them. He named and he cataloged the animals in God's presence. And as I've already said, we've already read what God thought about the current situation. And the question is, Adam, what are you going to say? So Adam goes through the process of naming all the animals. Verse 20, he gave names to all the livestock, all of the birds of the sky, all of the wild animals, but there was still no helper just right for him. Adam agrees with God. God said, it's not good that Adam's alone. Adam went through all the animals and said, yeah, you're right. Couldn't find one. The prophetic role is truth teller. Truth teller. What does it mean to be a truth teller? What does it mean to be fully human? What does it mean to be in the image of God, to be fully alive? It means I have a priestly role, but it also means I have a prophetic role in this world. A prophetic role. That if God says something, what do I say? Say, God, you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, you're all knowing. Like, Jesus, you're all knowing, but you know what? I reckon you got this one wrong. No, this passage actually says we find out what God says, and after this, Adam agrees with God. That's a truth teller. If God says something, do I agree or disagree? There's this common notion of God that he is anti-freedom, he's anti-fun. Anyone who is like living a radical life for Jesus, I dare you to bring that notion to them. They will literally laugh in your face. <laughs> are you serious? He will take you on some of the most random, adventurous journeys where you are like freaking out and you're completely enthralled because you know if God does not come to the party, you are absolutely stuffed. And you find that time and time and time and time again when you're on a high, even when you've absolutely muffed it, you know, you just find that when you're faithful, when you're not faithful, God still comes through. Boring life? You've got to be kidding me. We don't actually use this rationale with other areas of life. We understand that there actually is a paradox to freedom. And the paradox of freedom is that there are laws. I have the freedom to actually get in my car and drive home today because there are laws that govern the way that we drive on the road, aren't they? I can be pretty sure everyone's going to be driving in the same direction, at the same speed. I remember, um, it wasn't that long ago, Jackson's learning how to ride his bike, 
right? Ride his bike. And um, he's pretty tentative at first. He didn't want to go fast. And I'm trying to say, you know what? There's actually some laws in place here, Jackson. If you go too slow, you're not going to be able to ride your bike. You're not going to be able to, like, you actually have to go at a certain speed in order to actually like, get the, uh, all, all the gravitational forces. I used to do physics. I can't remember any of that now. I, I used to love physics. I just know the Bible now. <laughs> anyway. So what we did is that we took him to um, this field, and it's got a bit of a hill. And the reason why we did that is because we wanted to just push him over, really. <laughs> For his own good, you know, because he was like, didn't want to get the speed up. So we push him over there, go down the hill, and goes down the hill, goes faster, and guess what? Bang! He starts riding his bike. He figured out he could ride his bike. Do you know the, 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 what he wanted to do directly after he did that? He wanted to do it again because he actually discovered something. The thing that he wanted to do, there were actually laws that enabled him to do it. Year 11, I was at Cecil Andrews Senior High School, and um, um, there was this option in year 11, which we all thought was fantastic. Um, and basically, it was like this sports thing. And what we got to do for this whole term, we got to go and play golf. None of us have ever played golf, you know, um, but we got to go play golf. And um, so we go get some clubs and we're, we're out like over there in the, in the field and, and all that. And I remember like we, we got our... We got our um, uh, our, um, our, our clubs and all that. And we were just like, you know, even as we're walking out, we're like swinging away because we're just like 16-year-old guys. And um, <laughs> I, I remember that the teacher never actually ever said to us, you know, well, just pick up a club and just swing it any way you want. <laughs> never said that. Never said that. No, we actually had to go to the oval and we had to stand a certain way. We had to have our feet a certain distance. We had to like bend our knees a bit. We had to actually have a rotation of our shoulders a certain way and we had to keep our eye on the ball. And you know what? There were certain rules, there were certain laws that actually enabled us to do it. And we had a crack trying to be like a happy Gilmore and having to go in. The ball didn't go anywhere. But as soon as we applied those disciplines, guess what? We hit the ball properly. And guess what? We wanted to do it again. I meditate on your law day and night. Apparently, I don't know this personally, but people like Brett tell me that there is actually a right way and a wrong way to do a bicep curl. Apparently. Is that right, Nathan? Sure? Apparently there is. Oh, yes, you'd know. Is there? You don't know. Right. There's a right way and a wrong way, and many wrong ways, actually, to play basketball and to actually shoot a basketball. I found that one out. There's a right way and a wrong way to even run a sprint. In no endeavor of life does a coach or a mentor or a teacher ever tell a student, just have a swing. Because anyone who's serious about anything will engage with the laws because they understand that the laws are not there to restrict they are actually employed to bring freedom and liberty and to enable you to do something that you actually wanted to do. Is that not right? That's only if we're serious about it. I remember in year 11, we got serious about golf. We started buying magazines about golf. Can you believe it? And I remember, like, I'd be in my room and I'm, like, going through this magazine on golf, looking at the pictures and reading the articles about golf because I was serious about golf. It was as if I was meditating on golf day and night so I could learn, so I could have greater freedom on the golf course. I took it seriously, so I engaged with the laws because it wasn't just a hobby. But what about life? What about your life? What about my life? 
What about your faith? Are you serious or is it just a hobby? I'll let you know how you can tell if it's serious or a hobby. When God says about something, it is not good. Do you agree or do you disagree? Oh, I took you somewhere and then I just brought it home, didn't I? Do you agree or disagree? Just a little lie. I love him. I love her. We're not married, but we can still have sex. What did God say? You'll mess up your life. You won't have freedom. It promises freedom. It will not bring freedom. I guarantee you that. When God says it is not good, do we have in our mindset, you know what, he's just restricting me. It's so unfair. He doesn't care. Yet God is actually wanting to bring about human flourishing so that you and I will live this life fully alive, fully. And when God says it's not good, do you agree or disagree? Lastly, we're to be kings and queens. Hobbies don't march. Kings march. Hobbies don't march. New Spring Church marches. New Spring Church marches. When it was time for the kings to go to war, David stayed home. And we all know what happened next. The kingly responsible that Adam had is still being outworked today. We've talked about this a lot of times. Like I'm saying, God is bringing us back to the same message in different ways, in different angles. But God, out of a formless world, He brings form and creates a garden, which is called Eden, a garden of delight. And He places Adam and Eve in that garden. And He says, Adam and Eve, now push this garden out into the world. The church fathers call this the Edenization of the world. That the kings are supposed to push good creation out into the world. That is the kingly role. That is the queenly role. And when kings don't march, things go wrong. This formless, empty, unhabitable world would not remain in this state. It did not remain in the state. It still doesn't remain in the state. You want to know why? It's because the kings were on the march. They were pushing the beauty, the wonder, the majesty of God's garden out into all of creation so that form, order and function will come and replace disorder and non-order because the kings were on the march. And the kings are still supposed to be on the march. Listen to Jesus' words to Peter. Matthew 16, verse 18 to 20. Just listen to how Jesus describes things right now. He says this, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of, ha- of, Hael, of Hades, why can't I speak? And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Isn't it interesting how he describes and lets us know about hell? The gates of hell. I don't know if you realize that we use language which is so, so inappropriate, really. You know, the devil's coming to get me. Jesus just said, hell's gates. Gates don't move. We got some gates in the front, these yellow ones. The only time they've ever caused any damage 
I kid you not, this actually happened. We watched it. The only time it ever gave any damage, the gates were closed and someone didn't see it and they rammed into the gate. That is the only time that gate was dangerous. Hell doesn't march. Kings march. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The time when kings were supposed to go out to the war, David stayed home. And when he stayed home, we all know what happened. The church is supposed to march. Hell stays stationary. Did you know that? Hell stays stationary. Hell stays stationary. The kingdom of God advances. The kingdom of God marches. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a kingly role upon your life. It is something that is not just for you to say, oh, how precious am I? No, it is something that is supposed to be a blessing to the nations, to the regions, to the communities around you. It's supposed to be something where you are pushing forward, where you're pushing forward new creation into this world, where there is a divine responsibility to administer the kingdom of heaven in this world. And if there are dark places, if there are places of disorder, if there are places of chaos, we should be looking at those places and say, I need to get there ASAP. I'm not going to keep away from there. If there is a place of darkness, I want to be right there smack bang in the middle of it because I know by my mere presence, things will start to move. Kings march and kings advance. Hell does not march. And the only thing, get this, the only thing that stops kings advancing, the only thing is when they will not march. That is the only 